welcome to Writer's Block, the podcast about uh, start writing your book from start to finish. My name's Sterling. I'm Brianna. And I'm Rebecca. And we are going to continue our discussion about the three-act format. Rebecca, our last episode, Rebecca went over an explanation of the three-act format. Do you want to go through just like a really quick summary for anyone that might not have heard that one? Sure, yeah. Can I pull up my notes first? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, honestly, it's pretty simple, but I get confused a little bit. It's kind of hard to keep it all straight in your head. And then hopefully, once we get the summary out of the way, we're each going to go over some examples of movies or books that we've looked at that fit this three-act structure pretty well. I'm going to do The Hunger Games. Brianna, what, what example are you going to do? I'm going with The Secret Garden, so a bit older than The Hunger Games. <laughs> The three-act structure has been at throughout stories forever, right? So anyway, go ahead, Rebecca, as soon as you're ready. All right, so the three-act structure has three acts. The first act is the setup. The second act is the confrontation. And the third act is the resolution. In the first act, there is the dramatic question of the story. And the first act ends at plot point one where there is an inciting incident, which will lead your character into Act 2, which is the majority of the, of the story. Two-thirds? Oh no, it's two-quarters of the story. Also within Act 2 is the midpoint, which is a major turning point in the story. And plot point 2 is the end of Act 2, where everything seems to be falling apart, but the protagonist starts to take a more proactive role against the antagonist of the story, which leads to Act 3, with the climax and the resolution of the story. Okay, great. Was that understandable? <laughs> yeah, that was great. Great, okay, so now, Brianna, how about you go first with the Secret Garden and um, let us know how it fits that structure. So, the Secret Garden, basically, I just, first I took my book and kind of opened up to the middle to see around what's the middle. But the midpoint, well, obviously takes place around the middle, but it's also just like a big moment that, like a significant moment that will like, that could alter the course of the story. So for here, I, I would say the midpoint would be about when spring comes to the garden and like Mary goes back to tell Colin about it and he's having a fit and she determines that like, basically checks his back for lumps and is like, yeah, you're not sick. Because that changes the course of the story. So like he has to be like, okay, well, now I'm going to try going outside and all of the things. So the midpoint, I think, is the easiest to identify for me. And then there's also like going backwards. I go to the break into act two, I would say would be Mary finding the secret garden initially. Like, But this one's interesting because I think the inciting incident and the break into act two are not the same because the inciting incident would probably be like her going to Misselthwaite and learning about the garden and then the break into two would be finding the garden yeah I, there does seem to be like a little gap between the inciting incident and the actual break into the next act right yeah I and mean, there doesn't have to be sometimes they're about the same but yeah i think it depends on the story they're not necessarily the same thing well, and I, I noticed that when I was looking at the Hunger Games that 
there there was a little bit of a gap the more than what I expected. Anyway, keep keep going. Sorry for interrupting. <laughs> You're good. Well, the climax I think would be um writing to the uncle and having him come back and seeing the garden and seeing that Colin is walking around. To be honest, I struggle a little bit with the break into act three, so not sure. Yeah, I would say act three would be about when we get to trying to get the uncle to come to come back and see Colin. That would make sense if we define plot point two or the end of act two as being when the protagonist is more actively trying to defeat the bad guy because before this they've it's not that they haven't been proactive but from what i've read it's usually that they're a little bit more reactive about the stuff happening whereas they're really going to make things happen in the climax and that does i guess that does work because about this point they're like not just going outside and taking care of the garden but they're like doing exercises and um, they meet Dickens' mother, and they're just like making all these plans and things. So they're all around being a lot more proactive of trying to help Colin and help the garden and all the things. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, uh, it makes sense to me too. And I think one thing about the three act structure is if you really wanted to, you could probably fit most stories into the structure. Some of them you kind of have to finagle a little bit, but unless it's something like way out there, like a Quentin Tarantino movie, or um, I just finished a book called The Cosmology of Monsters. So it was a good book, but it was definitely not a three act structure book. Unless it feels like unless you're actively as when you're writing, trying to not do a three act structure, your book can kind of fit almost anything. And with the Hunger Games, when I was trying to do when I was doing that, I, I gave my initial impressions when I like wrote it down and then I started researching it and looking into it a little bit more. And I thought the break into act one um, was going to be when she when uh, Katniss volunteers as tribute because it's the inciting incident. It's the big movement into the next part of the story. But I forgot that there's so much more in the Hunger Games. And so uh, when I was doing research and I, I realized that the inciting incident is that volunteering moment for her. But then there's all the, all the rest of the setup of her training and getting the 11 score. I've actually never read the books. Don't hate me. I've, I've only watched the movies. So this is all from the movies. But um, so like there's all this setup and, and then act two actually starts when the Hunger Games starts. Uh, because all this setup is what we we're learning about the world. We're learning about the problems that she has to face. Like you said, Rebecca, it sets up the kind of moral question of the story and sets up the relationship with PETA. And then once she's in the hunger games, that's when everything really has changed. She's cause she's gone from a world of semi discomfort in her area to a, a world of comfort, but still discomfort cause she's not used to training and, and the Hunger Games being a good thing because she's meeting all these career people, right? So um, in the summary, from what I read, inciting incident leads to this plot point one with, that you're talking about, and that's the point of no return. 
So that makes sense. It would be the Hunger Game when she enters the Hunger Games. There's right. no going back now. Right. Because once she's in there, there it's all controlled and they can't leave and there's no way out. Um, whereas leading up to this whole thing, she if she left, it would be a terrible idea and terrible things would happen. But she still had the choice. So I, I still think that the the inciting incident is carried throughout the whole setup from when she volunteers. It's almost like there's a midi midpoint inciting incident. And then there's the major move into the, the second act into the Hunger Games. That's where I was talking about that gap. It was really weird because I, I fully expected the move into act two being when she volunteers. And then it made sense that that wasn't the case. Because after that, the midpoint ends up being... When she's taking, when she has to kind of run away from the career tributes, the ones from the the districts that constantly train their their kids, um, she has to kind of get away and escape, leaving Peta behind with her with them, and she's kind of out and away and on her own again. And then she meets Rue and sets up her alliance with her, because that midpoint is how the Hunger Games change, right? So the Katniss is in there doing her thing, and then she has to run away and leave Peta behind. And it's changed how she has to approach the games. So that's why there's the midpoint. And then it moves into uh, Act 3 when she has to go and find Peta. Finds the fact that he's injured. The whole blood poisoning stuff. With the uh, climax being... Was it the first one that they do the whole eating poisonous berries? Yeah. So uh, that that I figured was the climax. Because that was the moment when she was taking as much control of the world as she could. And they were completely balking the whole system and saying, screw you, basically. And it was a culmination of their relationship and a whole lot of other things, too, of course. But with the, them winning and the resolution being that they won, kind of wrapping it up really quick. Does that make sense? I talked a lot. It makes sense to me. I... Yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah. I think the most surprising thing to me was that all of Act 3 and Act 2 are in the Hunger Games. But when I watched the movies and I and I heard people talk about the books, everyone talked about the setup, about the world, about the districts, about the all that stuff. And so I thought that the, that setup was going to be a more major part, it was going to be all of Act 2, essentially. I think one thing that's kind of surprising is you know, casually thinking about the Hunger Games, I would have assumed that the midpoint would be like when they blow up the, the career stuff or when Rue dies, but her like dropping the tracker jack. Yes. The tracker jackers. Yes. I can't remember. Anywho, when her actually like attacking the careers and running away, that does make sense. Cause before that, it's just, she's trying to survive. But after that, she's actually, making taking steps to win and i wonder if maybe that's a major point for a major thing for the midpoint to do is take our our characters from um reacting to acting kind of thing because all the way up into even her like volunteer to tribute she was reacting to the fact that her little sister that her sister was called right mm -hmm. little sister not litter sister sorry um and uh and so like the, all the way up to that point i think you're right she was kind of just trying to survive and react to everything coming along. But a few moments of defiance in like the whole shooting her bow at the people or whatever. I don't know if that happens in the book, but in training. But yeah, maybe that's something that's a hallmark of the three of the three act structure and I'm, that I've never thought about that that midpoint is where 
is a major turning point for them to go from reacting to acting. I think, (laughs) I'm not sure the best way to explain that because it's not that they're not proactive Mm -hmm. before, but they are, I think the way that I'm understanding it is that I'm taking down the bad guy now. (laughs) Like before I was just getting away from, from them, but at the end they, look, when we're getting towards the climax, they're really going to face their problem, dig deep, and um, find the solution. And that's usually by (laughs) doing something out of their comfort zone and going against the big bad. Yeah. I think think you hit it right on on the head. Um, Rebecca, what, what example did you have? Maybe we can figure this more out with another example. So I... I did The Hobbit, the book, not the movie, because the book is better. Um, but well, the... the movie broke the three-act structure into three movies, right? So yeah, I tried to. Yeah, and I did find people who broke the the movie down into the three-act structure. So it follows it, but I I didn't. <laughs> I just did the book. I like the book better. So and it's kind of simpler storyline. Mm-hmm. So, Act 1 in The Hobbit, uh, we see Bilbo's life before, and he's just, like, wants to be a peaceful little hobbit, but then Gandalf comes, and that's the inciting incident, where he's invited to join this quest, and plot point one is when he decides to actually go on the quest, because before Gandalf gives, when Gandalf gives him the invitation, he can either reject or refuse it, but he chooses it, and so then we break into Act 2 when they're on the quest, and they get into what is um, what Save the Cat talks about as fun and games where they have like all these little misadventures, and Bilbo is starting to learn what his strengths are because he's not the great fighter, but he he starts to learn that he really has a super important role as the thief in their group. And the midpoint, I had to look up, <laughs> but the midpoint is when the dwarves are captured by the goblins and Bilbo gets the wins the ring from Gollum. And after that point, he kind of takes a more proactive role in the party and like gets a little more self-confidence in himself so that he can help um, win their treasure back from the dragon in Act 3. Okay, yeah. So so with Gollum, Gollum is plot point two, and the climax is facing the dragon, and then they win the treasure, and Bilbo finds he is an essential quester. I don't know. <laughs> he digs deep. Mm-hmm. No, I think actually this is another interesting part, thing to talk about on the midpoint, that for Bilbo, the midpoint wasn't just that he gained a little bit of confidence and did some stuff on his own because he did get separated, right? But it was also that he gained an ability of some kind that that helped his strengths, that like in, enhanced his already useful skills. This is true. I'm pretty... I don't remember. I need to go back and look at it, but I'm pretty sure he uses the ring when he's outsmarting the dragon. <laughs> I think so. I remember him doing that. Yeah, I think he uses the ring. 
I think he, I think he tries and it doesn't work, but it's still him like doing things. Like he's trying different things, trying how to figure it out. He's not stopping and like scared of what's going on, which is kind of his arc. He goes from everything is scary to I can take on the world. Right. Well, sort of. Yeah. Scared, scared little hobbit to old adventurer. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and I I forgot the term that you used for the middle for the act two was the fun and games. I completely forgot that term. That's the that's usually the part that people have a hard time writing. I don't know about y'all, but I always have a hard time with my middles. And so, I think calling it fun and games actually makes it easier because you can have fun, play games, and if anything doesn't work, you can cut it out later. So we we will talk about it more when we talk about save the cat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, Blake Snyder describes the fun and games as why you go and see the movie because that's that's like everything that's in the trailer. It's all the fun, misadventures, the funny parts, <laughs> the jokes. So I actually love middles as a discovery writer. Fun and games is my favorite part, and I think I my problem is that I put those after. I've noticed that with a couple of my books, I put them after the climax and it ruins it. (laughs) Like you, you need to finish with your misadventures, fun and games before the climax or it feels off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know I've, I've noticed with mine, my books, my, I have an idea of what my middles are, but I, I'm very scene oriented. So like, I want to get to a specific scene that I have in my head that I think is really cool that I think is the climax or I think is the midpoint um, or, or what have you, whatever part of it is. And so the middles get muddy for me because I, I just want to get to that thing, but no, that makes sense. So I think with the, with this, the way the three X structure is designed or I don't know if it was ever designed. Maybe it was just kind of like how stories were told. And then someone's like, Oh, this is an interesting pattern. I don't actually know the history. Yeah, it is. It's like, well, because sometimes Aristotle is attributed with explaining the three-act structure. That's not exactly true. He he was the one who was like, there should be a beginning, middle, end, but he broke it down into two acts. The guy who who wrote about three-act structure was Sid Field. And it really is, it's a it's just a way of describing what happens in stories generally and like you know western literature stories so well and and the cool thing about the the three-act structure as well is that it can be used at a macro level or a micro level so i know with brandon sanderson his when he approaches his epic fantasy he's actually got everything broken up into three-act structures from the top down it's like his whole series he's got this three-act structure in mind at least and maybe this has changed with with how much he's been able to write. But I remember him talking about this. He's got a three-act structure for his whole series. And then each book has a three-act structure. And then each like act within the book has three-act structures and so on. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I don't know how far down it goes. But I know that in when I was looking at the Hunger Games, uh, different analysis three-act structure breakdowns, a lot of them also broke it down further into each into three act structures within each act it, it can really it just i guess it just depends on how much planning you want to do and how how far how deep you want to go with it but 
We are almost out of time now, though. So I think for us to finish, how about we each go and we'll start with you, Rebecca, and we'll, we'll kind of mention the one thing about the three-act structure that has either helped us the most or has surprised us the most with our own writing. Go hmm. ahead, Rebecca. I put you on the spot, so you might, yeah. might need a second. <laughs> Actually, I put you both on the spot, so I'll start. So um, for me, it's, the, it's really that midpoint thought that we had earlier, earlier on that the midpoint being some something from reacting to acting or from skill to gaining a skill that gives them an advantage or it, it that that midpoint for me has always just been this kind of amorphous it's a big thing that happens but it doesn't really have a ton of point to it and so i i think for me i'm gonna have to change that so that my midpoint actually has an effect on the character because I don't know why I've, I've always had a midpoint, but I think it was more like a, this is the, the middle page count. Like I've made it halfway through the page count uh, rather than a midpoint of the story. Yeah. The same goes for me. I think I've never paid attention to my midpoint in my story. I have noticed before I even ever thought about three-act structure, I did notice in reading books, if I was bored, still, halfway through the book, if we were not steeply headed towards the climax in the story, I knew the book was a fail. (laughs) So I think I also am taking away from this. I really need to have a significant moment for that midpoint that gets that momentum towards the climax. And I think also something that this has made me think more about and want to do better is really nailing my climax as answering the theme of the story, completing the character's arc, uh, really showing like the crisis for the character before you get to a satisfying ending. Because I do think endings are not my strongest point, and it's something I I'm trying to improve. And I think if I really plan out and meditate on my climaxes more and that they are answering the story's question and the character's arc is completing there, I think it's really going to help my endings be more powerful. I got to piggyback on that because I feel like I've always thought about the midpoint as like some big epic moment, which can be, but it's not necessarily just that. You have to also think about, like, it's something to make your characters change and be, take matters into their own hands. Because, like, I think the part I really struggle with is usually, like, between the midpoint and the climax. But if I think about the midpoint as something that's going to make your characters be proactive, then I think that can help make the, the rest of the book going forward more clear. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to end now. Thank you for spending your time with us um, here at Writer's Block. Um, now, uh, here's a little homework. Go home, or I guess you're probably home listening to this, but um, try to find a book from a book that you like. Find the midpoint and kind of try to define what changed across the midpoint and why it works. Um, otherwise, keep writing. <laughs>